It's game day, Tampa Bay. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest Lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. Finally, some hockey is back, at least meaningful hockey, if you know what I mean. I, I don't know how much you watched of the All-Star festivities. I have to make a confession. I didn't watch any of it. And I got to be honest, I don't really watch any of the All-Star festivities, whether it's MLB, whether it's the NBA, NHL, NBA. Maybe, you know, every once in a while, if nothing's going on, you know, I'll, I'll partake in the skills competition and check that out. But even then, I, I just... I don't know, maybe it's where I am in my life right now with uh, two young girls under the age of four that uh, keep me occupied. I just, I don't have the the spare time necessarily to um, dedicate to meaningless hockey. And it's not to say that I, I don't enjoy it. I just, I don't find it interesting enough to um, stop what I'm doing right now to watch it. But a lot of people do find it interesting. I always felt like the skills competitions, particularly in the the NFL and the Pro Bowl, was more enticing than anything else, than the actual game. But I don't know. I think that's just kind of where I am. But now that the games are ready to roll for real, I'm very excited about that because now we can see the the end of the finish line, so to speak. I know they've played 48 games, meaning the Tampa Bay Lightning, and there's a bunch of hockey left, and a lot can change, particularly on this road trip, four games on the road to start Dallas tonight, that could change the complexion of this team. But I, I think when you take a look at, at where Tampa Bay is, they're in a good spot. And uh, I think the question becomes, like a lot of these teams coming off the break, will they be able to maintain their good play with the time off. Uh, Time will tell. I think it's an interesting theory, if you throw this out there, that teams who are better defensively might have an easier time adjusting with the layoff than a team who's more skilled. And in that particular instance, if we compare the two teams tonight, that would mean Dallas gets off to a a better start or gets into the game quicker. But Tampa Bay has shown the ability to play defense in a way that maybe we didn't believe after last year. And I think a team that is very good skating wise can adjust quicker and i don't know how it's going to play out we'll talk to rick peckham uh, lightning play-by-play man on the tv side we'll get his thoughts on that question also to matthew defranks from the dallas news i'll ask him that question they're feeling better about themselves but dallas is kind of an extreme team they're really good defensively number one in goals allowed but they're near the bottom in goals for tampa bay we know how good they are offensively but i think again they've been better defensively this year than some anticipated And you just wonder, with those two styles colliding tonight, which one gets into the game quicker and gets to their game faster? And can you make a case that it's Dallas, or do you like Tampa Bay's chances, especially with the way they're playing? Everybody is ready to go. Cedric Paquette practiced yesterday. He should be in the lineup tonight. Luke Shen and Mitchell Stevens, that was more of a paper transaction over the break that um, had them going down to Syracuse. They're back with the team. And really, I think the Lightning are ready to go. It should be a really good uh, goaltending matchup, Vasilevsky and Bishop. I'm curious, I want to ask you this question with these two goaltenders most likely going head-to-head. Do you have a a favorite? Um, look, Vasi's their starter, but a lot of Ben and Bishop fans 
uh, here in Tampa Bay. You've had to see Vassie's body of work. You've had a chance to see Bishop's body of work. Can you make the the decision or, or the judgment who is better? I mean, it's it's close. And, you know, think about it, folks. Tampa Bay, for about a, a three- to four-year span, had arguably two of the best goaltenders or t- the two best goaltenders on their roster. Now, it took Vassie, having Ben Bishop, be traded to get to that point. But think about that. Think about all the positions Tampa Bay has been strong at over the years, and particularly during this run under John Cooper. We know about the depth up front. We know about the star power. We know about the back end. I think depth-wise, it's the best it's been in a while. But the goaltending depth has been underrated, and maybe we just take it for granted because there's only two guys that can fill the net. You have the starter, obviously, in the backup. But the Lightning starter over the last five years, you can make a case, has been the best in the league. Now, it hasn't translated into a Stanley Cup. And I think that's been the most unfortunate aspect of this whole situation with Tampa Bay coming close but not finishing it off in the playoffs is that they really have had elite goaltending, at least in the regular season. And I think you can make a case in the playoffs outside of what happened last year on this team. And you want to take advantage of that as much as you can. It's like having, a, I think, a, a great quarterback, a Hall of Fame quarterback. You want to surround him with enough good pieces to where you can sit there and say, you know, we want a couple of cups. We want a couple of Super Bowls with this said quarterback. Or when you take a look at um, the goaltenders, that you had an opportunity to win some championships with the best on your roster. And unfortunately, Tampa Bay has not been able to do that. They've gotten close, and Ben Bishop's numbers were tremendous in the playoffs. Vassie, as I said before, up to uh, up until last year, uh, was very good as well. But you don't want to lose sight of that. But it's it's interesting, both these guys going against each other tonight if you had to choose one, who do you give the edge to? I, I think it's very close, and both are arguably considered the best in the game. But an interesting game tonight. I, I think different styles. Dallas wants to be better defensively. Tampa Bay, while they have been better defensively, still are a offensively driven team. Which style wins out tonight I think will go a long way in determining who wins tonight. Uh, don't forget, after the broadcast, we're going to have the last call. Myself and Eric Erlinson will be taking your calls. And you can hear that exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Matthew DeFranks coming up in segment four. Rick Peckham up next. He's the TV play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Lightning right here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Kita Kutrop left circle. Cross ice Johnson right circle. Jump score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live continues. We're going to use set for Lightning and Star. Should be a good matchup. Both teams uh, want to continue where they were. Of course, Tampa Bay playing some really good hockey up to the break. And the Stars, they need some wins to continue to be in that playoff spot. A team that's very good defensively but struggles to score. And you would think it's a pretty good uh, goaltending matchup uh, tonight if Ben Bishop and Vasilevsky are your projected starters. But we'll talk about that and so much more with our good friend, of course, he's the TV play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's welcome back to the program Rick Peckham. And Rick, first off, but great to be with you again. And Stars and Lightning tonight, both teams have had some time off, Rick. And, boy, you just never know how a game like this will unfold when two teams have been off the ice for a week or so, do you? Yeah, this is an unusual break, certainly uh, from the Lightning standpoint, not having played since uh, uh, January 17th. So, 
it is going to be interesting. That first period is always, I think, the big concern because it's, you know, you get a, a skate, you get a practice in, uh, but then that first game of competition, first period of competition is always where you want to just play it kind of conservatively and, and try to find the, uh, the system once again. And, and like you say, both teams playing well, the lightning exceedingly well going into the break. Uh, it's kind of too bad. They've, they've had all this time off, but, uh, nevertheless, uh, they'll take it and, uh, lick the wounds and get ready for the final stretch here. That's a good point. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what did we learn in your eyes, Rick, about the lightning playing 13 games in 21 days? It was a demanding stretch, but they really excelled during that time, didn't they? They did, and I think it spoke to the leadership of the team as well as uh, the preparation. Um, yeah, I think back to the trip to Sweden where they had all that practice time before the games with the Sabres began at the end of the week. and um, The Lightning to that point had had plenty of practice time, and uh, I was commenting to John Cooper at that point. I said, well, you, you've certainly had a lot of time to, to practice. He goes, well, the teaching part of our program is over. And I said, yeah, from here on in, after these games, you're averaging, what, 67 games in 134 days the rest of the season. It's a game every other day. He goes, yeah, it's the teaching's over. It's just a matter of trying to get your, your team to practice uh, at a good pace and execute with pace and that kind of thing from here on in. And then, you know, you're, you're concentrating on rest. So um, it uh, would be interesting to see um, – how they come out of it because the way they were playing going into it, they didn't have a lot of practice time. They managed the rest very well, but yet, you know, they had that uh, strength within the room to keep playing well. And even after they lost a couple, uh, that uh, devil's game and um, you know, the Minnesota game, they, they got right back to it in terms of coming right back with a win. And I think that speaks to a pretty strong locker room right now. And and that's what they're going to need to have succeed, have success way down the road here. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting point, Rick, is we don't know if this good play will translate into playoff hockey. We know the regular season and playoff hockey is extremely different, but I'm wondering, you know, through 48 games, do you feel like maybe that is the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's when you start talking about, um, maybe the leadership group. It was really good last year, but maybe you know, bringing in guys like Shattenkirk and uh, Maroon and McElhaney on the back end. You've got Luke Shen, obviously, and um, those guys have uh, certainly done very well in the league. Maroon, of course, winning a Stanley Cup. Do you feel like it's it's a different locker room, or do you just feel like the, these guys are just one year older in the system and they're playing very well at this point? I think it's both. I think they have welcomed, and I the outside voices of Shattenkirk, especially Maroon, because you could tell in their public comments when things weren't going well consistently, Maroon says, hey, we, we've just got to start playing differently. We can't get away with what we've been doing. And Shattenkirk would say, you know, hey, they're kind of still living in the past. So I think the outside viewpoint gives them a new perspective, a different perspective, which they didn't have. Uh, when everyone's patting them on the back down the stretch last year and they're on their way to 62 wins and 19 and two in one stretch. And they follow that up by winning seven in a row. Nothing went wrong for that team. And so, you know, there were no outside voices there. Now they've got a couple of guys that I think have brought a little bit of perspective in there. 
Uh, plus, I think the the leadership group certainly learned from the stunning loss of last year. And I think facing uh, that 13 games in 21 days, everybody to a man through that locker room understood what the challenge was going to be coming out of the Christmas break with that. And I think they met it head on. And so you talk about meeting adversity. Uh, it's not always trying to figure out a way to dig yourself out of a three or four game losing streak. Sometimes it's facing an, an arduous stress uh, tre- uh, stretch like that and, and being able to meet it head on and manage your game and manage the bumps in the road. And so you don't have that three game losing streak. And I think they did that very well. Rick Peckham joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. We're getting you set for Lightning and Stars. Rick, was the Lightning's win against the Jets before the break one of their more impressive wins of the year? I don't know if you can play a perfect game, but that one seemed pretty close, didn't it? Yeah, it did because uh, you had a lot of different people figuring in the scoring. Um, you know, I think they they were able to repel just about anything that Winnipeg would throw at them for the first half of the game before Winnipeg totally collapsed after that. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Vasilevsky was, was strong in, in the elements of the game that he had to be. And, and, uh, I thought they defended well and they handled the noise in that building. The atmosphere to start the game was very, very good. And I think that's always a challenge for a visiting team there in Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, they just took what the Jets were giving them, which was a lot, and they didn't waste anything in terms of, uh, um, you know, taking advantage of that. And as a result, you get a, a nice, easy win. Rick, we've got a question on our uh, Bolts Radio Twitter page. And uh, the question was, uh, which player needs to have a strong second half for the Lightning? And really, I think just to continue their good stretch and get into the playoffs. And there were four options, Gord, Johnson, McDonough, or other Gord right now leading the way with 49% of the votes. But when you take a look at, at those players, is, is there one that sticks out for you that, you know, you think uh, will need to have a, a pretty big second half for uh, the lightning really to be one of the favorites again, heading into the playoffs. I think Yanni is an obvious one uh, just from the standpoint of not just to get him going. And we've seen him, top 20 goals a couple of times now uh and he's nowhere close right now and here he is what is it about 25 games and counting since he scored a goal um but he's kind of a glue guy in terms of the structure of the lines because he gives you needed offense if you want to use him in the bottom six somebody's got to produce goals for Hagee's you know been doing that and uh, a couple of other guys from time to time step up but nobody consistently, but if he's going to be used there, he can be that guy. That's, that's kind of a threat when they're out against a certain crews that uh, maybe aren't as strong as the lightning's bottom six. And he's a guy who can fill out your top six if you structure the lines that way. And obviously that's the way that uh, the lines were set up to start the season. Yanni was going to fill out that uh, top six, especially with the absence of a JT Miller moving on you had to fill that spot and uh yanni was a a key guy in terms of trying to get that done so i think uh more than the others uh he's the guy who would stand out that you'd really love to see have a great 34 games down the stretch of the regular season and get some momentum in the playoffs he's such an emotional guy right and he's he's come through in so many emotional games i always think of that overtime goal he scored against chicago 
when he was first coming on the scene at Amelie Arena, and that created one of the more memorable um, post-game celebrations and end-of-game moments that I can recall in recent years in the building. Uh, that's that's what Yanni can bring this team, and, and hopefully he can do that. For sure. As you said, a guy who's uh, hit 20 goals before back-to-back years, and um, you feel like if, if one gets going, uh, Rick, that maybe you'll start to see four or five goals you know, start to pile up, and he'll start to get that confidence going. We kind of saw that with Carter Verhage a bit. He seems to have maybe found a, a role on this team and offensively is, is starting to feel a bit better. What have you seen from him and Mitchell Stevens that maybe signals to you that not only are they guys who can fill a roster spot, that uh, but also can contribute and maybe prevent Julian Breezewa from going out and addressing any type of depth that uh, this team may need on the third and fourth lines. Yeah, it's a big month for both those guys because here we are coming down the final few weeks, four weeks or so till the trade deadline and, and decisions got to be made and not much cap room. Um, certainly that's not a unique situation for the Lightning versus many other teams in the league, but uh, it certainly impacts what you're going to do. And they could alleviate a lot of concerns by having a great month. But what I'm seeing from them is that they're more sure of themselves. They're more confident in, okay, I'm going in hard on the forecheck, and I know that's the right play, and I know I've got you know, guys behind me, and, and they're going to support me, and this is the right play. And we're seeing that more and more with those guys, and I think it's allowing their skill to uh, come out a little bit more, and we're seeing how skilled they are. I think it's, it's something where you kind of appreciate the coaches because they've seen this or the potential for this in training camp, um, maybe on tape, little snippets during the course of games as they pour over tapes and, and look over games two or three times. And now we're seeing it to where we're noticing you know, and you kind of appreciate, oh, okay, this is what they expected to get from Mitchell Stevens. Okay, now we see it. And, uh, you know, he's always right from the start been strong in the faceoff circle, and he's managed to continue that. But now he's playing with a lot of confidence. A guy who can skate like that and be as dogged on the puck as he can be. And Verhage, we're starting to see the creativity offensively. He's a pretty sharp passer. He's seeing the ice better. As they say, the game's slowing down for him, and he's picking out the right guys in terms of trying to see an open teammate or how he can get a puck across the ice to him. And we're seeing the offense that uh, he was able to produce, obviously, in a great year last year in the American League. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're producing. They're contributing. They're filling roles. And they might be answering questions when it comes to what the Lightning do here in a few weeks. Yeah, no doubt about that. Rick Peckham joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. We're getting you set for Lightning and Stars. You know, the three guys that really had fantastic years last year, Rick, was Vasilevsky, Kucherov, and Braden Point. And I'm wondering, do you feel like maybe Vasi, uh, he's won 10 in a row, is the one who's closest to performing at levels we saw last year? Certainly Kucherov's putting up points. He's looked uh, very good at times this year. Braden Point, I think, starting to maybe find his game after having that surgery in the offseason. But I'm wondering for you, is, is Vasquez out of those three, you think the one closest to playing at the level we saw last year? Yeah, no question. I agree with you, Greg, on that, certainly, because, you know, he's during the winning streak, he certainly was dominant in that. 
And uh, while Curtis McElhenney certainly chipped in with a couple of wins in that stretch, uh, you know, the team was hitting its stride, and I think it's feeding off Vasilevsky, and I think everybody knows that uh, the big cat is back. Um, Kucherov in point, at times we see it, but uh, it's been flashes, I think, to this point. And, um, you know, we can remember at this stage of the season last year, just night after night after night, Kucherov is cranking out three-point nights and points right there with him, and teams just didn't have an answer for them. And they're there at times and, you know, really showing that high-level brilliance that very few players in the league can reach. But, um, you know, it's just not been there as much, and, and maybe that's too much to expect. You know, maybe that's just kind of a year that uh, where everything fell together in so many places, but also for certain individuals. But Vassy, he seems to be getting back to that level. And I think among the three, he's the most important guy to have at that level. Ultimately, this team and and players will be judged on how well they do in the playoffs, Rick. But in the meantime, it does appear that the coaching staff has done a really good job of getting these players to buy in to the system they want them to play, whether it's more mental than physical. But clearly, something is clicking. And I think John Cooper and his staff deserve a lot of credit. What do you think is going to be his biggest challenge from here on out with this team and and do you agree that this coaching staff has done a nice job considering the fact too that John Cooper is what the most tenured coach in the NHL right now at this point and sometimes you know when you have one voice for that long uh, in today's sports uh, guys have a tendency to tune coaches out yeah in terms of speaking about other team situations I think uh, the fact that organizations have made changes and it gets pointed out that, well, this guy was behind the bench for four four years or six years or whatever. And I think some teams start to look at the other situations and say, yeah, you know, maybe that's starting to happen here, but this organization's not looking at that. And I think that this group has been very patient uh, with this team to find its, its stride in terms of uh, being, um, sharper defensively. And I think you and I have had this conversation before, and it's finally kind of boiled down to the forwards coming back on a consistent basis to where the defensemen know, okay, we can keep our gaps tight. We can protect that blue line. We can even, you know, close off areas behind the red line and really seal off teams. And the Lightning are being able to do that. And everything else is you know, they're generating offense maybe in a little bit different way than they had in the past where it might have been done purely on skill and just wide open play. But now they're doing it more in a structured uh, type of sense. And I think they're finding success with that, gaining confidence with it. But that required patience, I think, from the coaching staff as well as being able to plot out the right way to go about making these changes and change some habits. And as we know, if you change habits, it's, it's going to take some time to do that. They were patient enough to do that, and uh, so I think they do deserve a lot of credit with that. And, and the biggest challenge as far as uh, Cooper and the staff are concerned is, I think, to find that level once again coming out of the break and find that level of belief night after night in your game that uh, they can use as they've got some different opponents coming up here down the stretch. Haven't seen Columbus yet. Just played the Flyers once. Two more with the Bruins, uh, three with the Leafs. It's going to be a different-looking schedule down the stretch. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they uh, uh, how they fare against some of these teams that uh, they 
some of them they need to maintain a lead over like Toronto, you know, and there's going to be those head to head opportunities. How are they going to uh, fare in those, uh, those games? Rick, before we let you go, we're assuming, and it, it may change. We will, uh, We'll make those corrections if it happens, but we're assuming that Vassie and Ben Bishop will be the starters tonight. And boy, you, you really can't think of a time uh, in Lightning history, and you would know as well as anybody, where Tampa Bay's had a run of great goaltenders consecutively. And Ben Bishop started it for sure. Vassie's continued it, but uh, those are two elite goaltenders that you know once played for the Lightning at the same time. It's um, pretty incredible, and both have been really outstanding uh, for the league and the teams they played for. I mean, it's been, it's been fun watching those two guys, hasn't it? It's uh, been a long time coming for Lightning fans that go back into the 90s, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, uh, Darren Poopa brought a, a good level of play in net um, in the years that he was healthy uh, in the Lightning net in the mid-90s. But then you really didn't have the goaltending until Nikolai Hobby Bulin comes to town, and he was outstanding for what two years and part of another maybe before the lockout hits he goes to free agency and signs with Chicago and then that's over with and then we went through Johan Holmquist and Mark Denis and you know just a parade of goaltenders John Graham was never able able to really reach a a real high level of play he's he's in the um, the record book in a number of areas shutout sequence and all sorts of things but um just wasn't that goaltender to reach the level that uh, back-to-back we've had Bishop and Vasilevsky get to. Yeah, this has been unprecedented in the history of the team, and it's it's something that I hope no one ever takes for granted because uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been starved for this kind of goaltending, and now we've had it for an extended period of time. Um, you know, going back to 2015, it's been amazing. I wanted to end with this. We're s- switching topics completely, and uh, obviously on a more down note but uh, obviously what happened yesterday with Kobe Bryant you're a big uh, sports guy Rick and as I was saying on the show earlier today um, you know it's tragic on a number of levels but the age and uh, the one daughter with him and at 41 being uh, that big of a superstar in basketball I think it it shook everybody I mean I don't know how much more you can add to it but uh, is there anything that that really you want to add to uh, what's uh, transpired yesterday with that news with Kobe um, passing away in that tragic accident. Wow, it was just shocking to hear it. And then uh, once I heard it, I was on the golf course and, and came home and started watching golf, and I saw the end of Tiger Woods' round. And CBS caught the moment when Joey LaCava, his, his caddy, was telling him coming off the 18th green, they were walking to the scorer's tent, and Joey knew of the news but kept it from him and told him and you know tiger's response was excuse me yeah I mean, he was that shocked i was you know just not to sidetrack things but tiger was a guy who obviously a contemporary of, of kobe bryant's um and spoke so eloquently eloquently just minutes after learning of the tragic news with cbs and expressed a lot of great views in terms of speaking for other people it's been interesting to see the reactions of fans in LA of a certain generation, you know, I think of the Oscar Robertsons and the Jerry Wests and people like that of my generation. Yeah. But you have to take into account that, you know, there's a whole generation or two 
covered in the 20-year career of Kobe Bryant, who just looked up to him, admired him, patted themselves after him, uh, really enjoyed his entire career and what a career it was. And it's just stunning to see the effect it's, it's had on the country. And he's kind of been, you know, behind the scenes here these last few years. It, it was kind of, um, you know, interesting that he's only, he was only 41 years old. And uh, you kind of, you know, you see Shaq in commercials. Kobe was more low key. And uh, you're just like, wow, Kobe Bryant is gone. That's going to yeah. take a long time for a lot of people to get used to. And, and I'm certainly one of those sports fans who it's, it's stunning uh, to be able to handle it, that news and realize that he's gone. Yeah. You can see the impact he had by the amount of people that have reached out in uh, different sports. And you mentioned, um, you know, the, the hockey players of have, have Alex Ovechkin. There were a ton of tweets from him about being able to meet him and the things they had talked about and how much that, Kobe inspired Ovechkin. It's amazing that crossover with athletes, you know, they, they watch each other and I think they admire each other for yep. their accomplishments, which I think is always interesting, but, um, you know, it was a, it was a shame for sure. Um, Rick, as always, bud, we appreciate the analysis, the perspective. We'll do it again, uh, real soon and, uh, enjoy the game tonight. Thank you very much, Greg. Take care. All right, there he goes. That's the great Rick Peckham. He is, of course, the TV play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, if you want to weigh in on Kobe Bryant, I know this is obviously a hockey show, but certainly when news like that hits yesterday, everybody in the sports world, and really it's not even in the sports world, I think anybody that uh, knew of Kobe Bryant had an opinion regarding uh, the impact he had on various people and athletes and um, as I said before, you know, for me, you grew up watching Kobe Bryant. He was, um, by all accounts, the best player in the game. And at 41, you know, really hit home for me because he's only a couple years older than I am. And I think what's even more tragic is obviously his daughter, uh, one of his daughters was with him. And, you know, they, they kept showing on Twitter footage of Kobe and his daughter Gianna you know, playing basketball, talking courtside, uh, was it about a month ago, and uh, sharing that uh, daughter and, and father moment, which, you know, is impactful again for me because I have two daughters now, and uh, it's, um, it, sh- it shakes you. I think that's what it does because it's somebody who is so impactful but is gone at such a young age, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people are scratching their heads, and of course also, too, his daughter perished in that accident as well. And I think that is hard for anybody to comprehend. So if you want to react to that, you can at Greg Linelli, anything Rick had to say when it came to the Tampa Bay lightning in that interview. And always good to have Rick on to talk about this lightning team. And I think for them, you know, you don't know how the game tonight is going to play out. They're coming off maybe their best performance of the season in their last game against the jets, but you don't know if that's going to carry over. This is where you kind of rely on structure and mental awareness when it comes to where you need to be on the ice because it may take you physically maybe a whole period to get back into the swing of things, being off the ice for as long as they have been. But I think for them, if you can understand where you're supposed to be, be mentally sharp in a game like this, that ends up being a pretty big deal because eventually you'll get your skates going and you'll get your lungs going and things will feel normal uh, maybe after a period or so. But I think you know, understand your responsibilities could go a long way in determining how well Tampa Bay plays 
tonight against Dallas. All right, react to that if you can at Greg Linnelli. Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News. He'll join us coming up uh, in just a little bit. I want you to weigh in again on that poll question at Bolts Radio. Uh, which player needs to have a strong second half for the Lightning? Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Ryan McDonough, and other. So far, Yanni Gord leading the way at 49%. I'll give you my thoughts and who I voted for when we return on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. All right, thanks to Rick Peckham, who uh, joined us in that previous segment. As I said before, Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News will be coming up in the uh, next segment to talk about this Dallas Stars team. Look, we know they're good defensively. They struggle offensively. It's pretty simple to say, but you get the lead on this team and you make them play from behind, I think you're going to be in pretty good shape, and we'll see how that all plays out. You heard me ask about the poll question that basically asks, you know, which player needs to have a strong second half for the Lightning moving forward. And we gave you a couple of options, Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Ryan McDonough, and other. Yanni Gord leading the way right now by a pretty significant margin. And while I understand that, my selection was uh, Tyler Johnson uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Johnson, I think, has more to give. I think out of those players there, you know, Johnson is somebody who can change the impact of a game. He's done it before in the playoffs, but he's a guy who's consistently in that 20 to 25 goal range and, you know, whether he's a top six forward or really in your just top nine, I think he can make a, a difference in a big way. But also, too, I, I just think he has a lot more to give. I, I think his upside's greater. I think he's a guy that, if he gets going, gives John Cooper another alternative when we start talking about what they can do offensively. You know, if a guy like Kucherov or Point or Stamco slump in the playoffs, wouldn't it be nice to throw a guy like Tyler Johnson in the mix to figure some things out and to pick up the slack for a couple of games? I think he has that ability, and we're just not seeing enough of it this year so far. Now, that being said, this has all been about the playoffs this season for the Lightning. So while I want to see Tyler Johnson figure out his game, I'd like to see him get better, no doubt, uh, once the playoffs get going. All right, one guy who uh, certainly has his game going, I think, this year, he's been tremendous to deal with media-wise as well, has been Kevin Shattenkirk, and he had a chance to talk to the media yesterday. First practice, really, after the All-Star break, and let's hear what um, the new defenseman for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kevin Shattenkirk, had to say, talking about practicing and the game tonight against the Stars. How needed was that break for you guys mentally, physically, after that stretch of games leading up to that last one and one? Uh, you know, I think we, everyone kind of welcomes a break for sure. Um, you know, tough to go, uh, to kind of stop playing when we've been, uh, kind of on such a good roll. So, um, but again, like you said, I think everyone kind of needed a chance to reset and, um, get a chance to, uh, hang out with some family and, and really just, uh, kind of get your mind off the game for a little bit because we know we have a pretty hard stretch coming down the pipe. How hard is it to kind of jump back in after the bye week and transition right back? Is it easier because it's on the road or not really that much of an advantage? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's hard no matter how you, uh, how you slice it up, but, um, you know, other teams are doing the same thing. So it's, it's not like we're, uh, we're coming out of a break and they've been waiting for us and playing hockey and, and they're ready to go. So I think uh, we don't have that excuse. And, and um, you know, to get on the road, obviously, uh, it gives you a chance to just focus on, on hockey. But, um, 
you know, we feel like we've been on the road for a long time here. So it's uh, it's going to be nice to to kind of just get back to our game and be able to focus on hockey for the week and then get home. He's done a great job, obviously, climbing the standings in that stretch, second place in the Atlantic. What was kind of the, the message, I guess, heading into today's practice, um, coming off a really big win over Winnipeg in that final game? Uh, get a sweat in. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, everyone was out there. Bodies were a little rusty and tight. And uh, I think today's practice was really just a chance to, uh, to get our bodies moving again. Um, but I think, it, you know, it, it seems like mentally everyone's in a good spot. Uh, everyone, you know, feels refreshed and seems refreshed. And, um, you know, tomorrow we'll definitely start to get more into game mode and, and use the morning skate to, uh, you know, get ourselves ready for tomorrow night. All right. That was obviously Kevin Shatkirk yesterday. These interviews we're going to play for you were from yesterday. So he's clearly understanding that they were on a pretty good hot streak. He welcomed the break but it'll be interesting to see how his team reacts. As I said before, I, I think this is more about the mental preparation than it is physical. The physical side of things, that's going to happen after a period or two periods or maybe, maybe even after the game. I, I don't know how long it's going to take Tampa Bay to, to feel pretty good about themselves physically. But I think where they are mentally, how sharp are they? Where are they in their assignments? Are they back-checking? Are they making the smart play at the right time? I think sometimes when you don't play for an extended period of time, you get a little rusty there. And for me, how focused they will be tonight will go a long way in how well they do in the game. Braden Point's another guy who I think probably could use the break and maybe use the break to his advantage, resting up, uh, making that hip stronger, but also looking at the remaining games and saying, okay, you know what? I was pretty good through the first 48, but now I have an opportunity to really take it to another level. Here was Braden Point yesterday on Lightning Power Play. Braden just how needed was the week and a half off leading into All-Star break for the stretch of games you guys had and how hard you guys had to work to get to second place now. Yeah, it was we had a lot of games there to catch up kind of from that Sweden trip. And um I thought we played well through the through the through the stretch. Um we finished off strong, which was which was nice too. But uh I think, you know, just the bodies and the minds needed a break. I think, you know, we played a lot of hockey, so good to relax, spend some time with family and then you know, come back in second half. Tough to just jump right back into a big road trip, but you know where was the mentality and kind of the vibe from you guys after a big bounce back performance from Minnesota to Winnipeg and a huge win? Yeah, it was it was big for us. Obviously, not what we wanted in Minnesota. Um, I thought they outplayed us. They controlled the puck, but like you say, we bounced back, and I thought we had the majority of uh, puck time. Obviously, we scored a lot, um, but I thought our, our puck time and our our confidence was there for the Winnipeg game. That was the first practice back now. Obviously, just kind of trying to get your timing and everything and and what was the approach for today yeah i think i think coach coach's approach was just to get us moving a little bit um you know a little rusty at the start some some passes were a, a bit off but i know some guys uh you know had, had some had some ice during the break so um wasn't a huge a huge comeback period i guess Do you see any advantage to being able to start on the road kind of like the beginning of the season where you're away from home and distractions at all or at this point in the season it's it's really not much different um i mean i love playing at home um but you know, I guess, I guess if anything, we, you know, we, we just had a big stretch where we were with family. So, um, you know, it's not like we're, we're away from them for too long. I mean, it's a long road trip, but we did have a good stretch where we could be with them. So, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. All right, Braden Point talking to uh, Kaylee Chelios yesterday. And again, you could uh, hear Point uh, after practice yesterday uh, getting his wind. And I think, again, that'll be the, uh, the interesting part about uh, tonight's game against the Stars. Both teams dealing with that, no doubt, and uh, how they react to the physical aspect of the game is interesting, but uh, I'm also following what they're going to be doing mentally. How sharp will they be? And Braden Point, listen, 
You know, we asked you that poll question on Bolts Radio right now when it comes to which player needs to have a strong second half for the Lightning. And you can make a case it's Braden Points. Um, I said Tyler Johnson because I don't think he's made the type of impact he'd like to make on this team this year. But for Tyler Johnson, for me, like Alex Kulorn and, and like a lot of these guys, it's not what you do in the regular season. It's what you do in the playoffs. And if Tyler Johnson can be a guy who picks up his teammates in the playoffs when some of the big guns aren't scoring, that's going to be huge moving forward. Speaking of big guns, Steven Stamkos, of course, one of the best players of this generation. What did NHL.com come out with their best players of the, uh, the last decade? Stammer came in, uh, what was second team? And, you know, you feel like that's about right. You know, there's the greats, you know, like Crosby and guys like that that are going to get the recognition in Ovechkin, and, and you understand that. But Steven Stamkos, again, we always go back to what if with him a bit when those injuries occurred. How much did that take away from his point total, his goal total? But an elite player. He talked to the media after the break yesterday. Here's what uh, he had to say. Online fire play. Steven, a nice long break, you know, by week going into All Star Weekend. Just how does it feel to be back and kind of the transition to jump right back into it on the road? Yeah, it's uh, it's a while, so it's it's kind of nice just get back on the ice with the guys and just try to get some timing and, and some rust off. So um, went into the break feeling pretty good about our game and, and ourselves in the position that we uh, were able to climb up the standings in the last month. So. Uh, obviously a big trip. We go right back on the road, four games against some good teams. So we want to, um, you know, start collecting some, some more wins here. Are there any advantages to maybe starting this big trip on the road as opposed to at home or not really? Just Well, I mean, at this point of the year, I mean, every game is important. So, um, you know, it's going to be a little tougher, obviously, you know, some more travel in there. And um, But at the same time, it's, you know, like I said, we put ourselves in a good position with the way that we've been playing them. Uh, going into the break, so we want to keep that up. Mentioned being able to climb the standing, second place now in the Atlantic. Just how important was that last big win over Winnipeg, and what was kind of the, the mood and the vibe of the team after? That? Yeah, it was it was really good. It was a good response um, after a poor effort in Minnesota. So um, we knew that we had to have that game. We didn't go, want to go into the break um, not feeling good about ourselves. So I thought that was a really good game. On on the second half of a back to back, uh, we came out and kind of set the tone early and. Uh, I thought that was uh, a really good game by a group. It was this break just with the stretch of games you guys had and how hard you had to battle all the way to that last game in Winnipeg? Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people remember. It was 13 games in 21 days before that break, so that was a lot of hockey. So, you know, the guys need it not only for their mind but their body. Um, it's it's a good, good little stretch there to get everyone feeling energized again and get back going. So we're excited uh, about the game tomorrow. All right, Steven Stamkos there. Again, that stretch, 13 games, 21 days. That may go down as a defining moment this year for Tampa Bay. I mean, adversity is something that sticks out for me, not necessarily with the injuries to this team because there haven't been a ton, but the schedule, when the games have been played, where the games have been played. I, I think a lot of this has been a pretty demanding stretch, and Tampa Bay has passed with flying colors, and it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people are looking at them and saying, all right, you know what? Yeah, I like Tampa Bay again. I didn't like him at the beginning, but I like them now. All right, Matthew DeFranks, he covers the Stars for the Dallas News. He's up next. We'll ask him about this Dallas Stars team. What do they need to do to continue to stay in the playoff picture? And is what you see what you get with Dallas when it comes to their offense? Is there more there? They're good defensively, not good offensively. What 
does Dallas do at the trade deadline? We'll talk about that with Matthew when we return on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a save. miraculous stop. The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face. On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. We're getting you set for Lightning and Stars tonight. Should be a good one. And joining us right now to talk about it, he covers the Stars for the Dallas News. Let's welcome back to the program Matthew DeFranks. Matthew, good to be with you, bud. And, boy, this game is interesting for both teams because of the extended break. You really don't know how either team's going to respond with that time off, do you? Yeah, you really don't. And uh, it's funny for the Stars, it's been such an up-and-down season so far this year. You know, they had the rough start. They had a 12-game point streak. They fired their coach. They had another six-game win streak. And uh, the latest down was heading into the break. They lost their last two games by a combined score of 11-1, to including a 7 to nothing loss in Minnesota in their last game before the break. So it's kind of weird looking at the Stars right now and seeing that those are the most recent results. Uh, but there has been, I guess, you know, eight, nine days between now and then. So... We'll see what the stars uh, look like tonight if they're if they're rusty, and I'm sure Tampa might be rusty as well after the long break. Um, but really, for for Dallas, it's about getting back to who they are, and they're not a team that allows, you know, four goals one night and seven the next. Uh, they're really content to play two one games and kind of grind things out that way. So if the stars can get back to their defensive identity tonight, it'll be a, a sign of progress. Um, and uh, less worrisome signs than the seven to nothing loss to Minnesota, obviously. Yeah, time will tell clearly tonight, but I'm curious to get your take. Do you think it's a little bit easier of an adjustment coming off a break for a team like Dallas, who is more of a defensive minded than a team who uh, is more offensively minded than the Tampa Bay Lightning? It doesn't take great skill to be great defensively, and you would think that maybe. Uh, you have an opportunity to find yourself sooner than if you're a team that relies on skill. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny. We we talked about it after the Christmas break, and it was, well, you know, the this team played last night, so maybe they got all their rust out, and so that's actually a good thing to be playing uh, on a second night of a back-to-back. And it's it's all how you look at it or how you choose to look at it. <laughs> Uh, and I, I honestly don't know if it matters too much, right? The, the two teams had similar breaks, um, and at, at some point it's just going to be, all right, well, let, let's just play hockey, let's play uh, our game. So I think it, you're, you might be right in your hypothesis that that defense is a little bit more easy to get back to than the uh, creativity and skill and flow of offense, um, but I'm not sure it matters a ton in a game like tonight, especially when uh, – the layoff is similar for both teams. Matthew, as you would expect or hope, the Stars got healthier during this recent break. They now have eight healthy defensemen, it looks like. Steven John's back uh, after uh, being out. Mir Haskinen out of uh, concussion protocol. How do you see this playing out, and what does John's bring to this team when he's healthy specifically? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Rick Bonus chooses who's in, who's out uh, on a nightly basis. Uh, you have like you said, eight guys. And for the last, you know, two years, maybe a year and a half, 
they've had seven guys and just kind of rotated one in when uh, when there was an injury or a back-to-back or, or something like that where they needed fresh legs. And now you have eight guys. And tonight it looks like uh, Andre Sekera and Taylor Fadoon uh, will be the odd men out. Um, but it, it sounds like uh, Rick Bonus wants to kind of rotate those guys in in this month of February. They I think the Stars have 15 games in the uh, 29 days in February. So um, busy schedule for them coming up, and they'll need some fresh legs on the back end. I, I can't see a scenario where it's not a rotation with Roman Polak also coming out some. Uh, we'll see how Steven Johns performs as he continues to acclimate to the, uh, the NHL again. Uh, if he needs a break every now and then, or if uh, you know Jamie Alexiak kind of has uh, some downturns in his game and it comes out. But uh, I think no matter what, the, the three stalwarts in the lineup will be Miro Hastinen, John Klingberg, and Essel Lindell. There's, there's no question uh, that they will be in the lineup every night. It's just a matter of finding the other three out of those other five guys that can fit. And uh, as far as Steven Johns goes, uh, it's, it's really – it's really interesting to see what he can be because we've seen him play before, right? We've seen him be a six foot four physical presence back there who is uh, pretty mobile, can move the puck and has a bomb of a shot. So that's what he, that's what he has shown before. Um, can he be that again? Well, we don't know. We don't know if that's, uh, if that's the same player after this injury and after this long layoff, or even if it is the same player, how long does it take him to get back into form? Uh, against Minnesota, he, he looked like uh, he had a little rust, right? He had a, a turnover that led to a goal. He said after the game he felt like he was in quicksand all night. And um, going into the break, he said that he wanted to use the uh, the break as his own personal training camp to kind of get back in shape and get his conditioning back up so where he can play, you know, NHL minutes and, and top four minutes, which is what the uh, the Stars pegged for him uh, last summer before he uh, he was hurt. So um, it's it's – unknown what he can bring but at, at the at the best he's a, a top four defenseman and kind of rounds out that group with uh Hastinen, Klingberg and Lindell and uh and at worst he's a uh, you know, depth piece for uh, one of those eight defensemen you got on the roster so a uh, good addition for the Stars to have him back and a uh, really great perseverance and what a story for for Steven to uh kind of fight to get back into uh into the NHL again. Matthew, do you feel like they're gonna give him these next few weeks before the trade deadline to see where he is and that if he's more of a depth defenseman at this point as opposed to being a top four guy, will that change their philosophy in terms of what they would want to do with the trade deadline? And do you feel like shoring up the defense on the back end is something they still will look at or John's play regardless if it's elite or more of depth right now um, we'll cover that spot. Yeah, I think uh, if, even, if, even if he is a, like a depth defenseman, I think he's still an upgrade over what they had before. So uh, I think that helps them in that aspect. And I, I can't see them looking for another defenseman. I mean, maybe they will, but you know they have eight right now. You know they, they gotta you gotta move one or two out to to make space for uh, another one in there. Um, to me, their more pressing need is for a, a top six forward, uh, whether that's a, a creator like they acquired last year when they picked up Matt Zuccarello, or whether it's uh, more of a finisher like maybe uh, maybe Chris Kreider in New York. Um, but I think they need something like that. I'm not quite sure if they'll be able to get Kreider just based on the pieces that Dallas has. Um, they don't have a second or a third or a seventh in the draft this summer. 
And they really, to me, have four uh, above average to very good prospects that are kind of worth trading or, or useful trade ships, I guess I should say. So given that you only have a, a shallow prospect pool, you only have uh, four picks in the draft coming up and uh, you're probably less likely to part with your first rounder. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the market will be like for the stars and, you know, just another wrinkle on it. They, they do have 4.75 million uh, in space due to Martin Hansel's LTIR um, salary pool. But if you're taking on a big number, it might be tougher to manage the roster if injuries happen. So, you know, there, there are a lot of factors that come into the stars trade deadline uh, strategy right now. And, to me, it looks more like a, like a forward is a more pressing need, given that they're you know, 27th, I believe, in goals per game. Um, and they have eight defensemen in their first in league in goals again. So I'm not quite sure that that is a, uh, an area of need for them. Yeah, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned about where they are defensively. And you bring up some good points about you know not really having to touch the back end. But that does seem like it is an area of strength. And to address an area of weakness up front, do you feel like one of the quick fixes – or if you go after a guy like Kreider, and that may be tough, but somebody else more of a, a bottom six piece or maybe even a top six who's not Kreider, do you feel like dealing from a position of strength from the back end, that's going to have to be the case if the Stars want to pull off a deal? Uh, maybe. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure because there's really two tiers, right? You have those, those top three guys and uh, Klingberg, Hastings, and Lindell, and those guys aren't going anywhere unless you get in a massive return and it's kind of a, uh, a known quantity for years to come, right? Cause Hastings, he's, he's going to be one of the best defensemen in the league and he's 20 years old. So he's untouchable on Lundell. He just signed a new contract over the summer that I'm not entirely sure when actually, I don't think the no trade kicks in until two years later, but it's still $5.8 million um, for him. And Klingberg is on one of the best contracts in the league. I believe it's 4.25. Um, so those guys aren't going anywhere. And then you look at the other kind of tier of defensemen. I don't know what kind of value Roman Polak or Andre Setra have. They're on one-year contracts. They're veteran guys. Uh, Taylor Fadoon is on a two-year, two-way. He's been a journeyman all, all his career. He got traded for his seventh last year. Uh, not quite sure what value he has. And then you look at Alexiak and John. John's pretty much an unknown quantity. And you talk about, you talk to some guys around the league about what his trade value might be. And it's, it's not much. It's too much injury risk, too much unknown with him. And, you know, Jamie Alexiak last year was just traded for a fourth round pick. So um, you have some separation in the tiers of, uh, of quality back there. And, and that applies to their trade value as well. So, you know, it would be, it would be, I think probably beneficial for the stars if they were able to kind of clear one of them out and maybe get a, a another forward from Texas on the roster or, um, or even after the trade deadline, when roster limits don't exist, you can kind of call people up easier. But uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure if they'll be able to be uh, to unload some of those guys just because I'm not sure what they're worth in the trade market. Matthew DeFranks joining us here from the Dallas News on Lightning Power Play Live. Uh, a couple more questions for Matthew regarding uh, the stars in this game tonight. Matthew, I'm curious, are you surprised at the numbers when it comes to team defense and team offense for the stars? In many ways... There really is no middle ground, is there, with either stat for Dallas? They're either great defensively or just not great offensively. There's no in-between. Yeah, um, and that's been the case for the last two years now. So 
I think entering this season, you thought that it, it could be different. You you were saying, hey, there's no way that Ben Bishop is putting up a 934 save percentage again uh, this year. And there's no way that Anton Hudobin is the best backup in the league again this year. And, uh, and, and they both proven us wrong, right? I think Bishop's down at 927, which is still uh, very, very good, obviously. I think he's third or fourth in the league. And Hudobin's uh, a tick above him. Uh, at 927, but due to rounding error, rounding and stuff like that, he's a little bit above Bishop. So uh, you, you didn't quite know if they would be able to replicate last year, and they have. So that that part of the of the defense has been there. It's just the offense. You looked you looked at it and you said, hey, well, you know, they added Joe Pavelski. Um, they brought in Corey Perry. So those two guys should be better than say Jason Spezza and Brett Ritchie or Valerie Nichushkin or Tyler Pitlick. Uh, you know, those guys that they let go in the summer. And uh, on paper, you're like, okay, well, Joe Pagelski just had 38 goals last year. He should be able to add some offense. And if the Stars are able to get too mediocre or middling offensively and keeping a strong defensive structure, they'll be a, a good team. But that just hasn't materialized. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is the way that the Stars want to play. They want to play defense first. And, uh, you know, you, you hear Rick Bonus talk about how the Stars generate offense, and it's his uh, his mantra is that uh, they generate good offense from good defense, and uh, that's kind of how it was under Jim Montgomery as well. They were really uh, potent off the rush and getting out in transition, um, but didn't really have uh, a ton of offensive zone time. You know, like that, that series against the Blues in the second round, the Blues were the team that got it deep and cycled and kind of forechecked hard, and the Stars were the ones that played defense and counterattack. So it was uh, it's kind of been a lot of that this year too, and I think that's part of the reason why you look at the the goal scoring leaders for the Stars, and it's uh, you see Rope Hints up there, you see Dennis Duryanov up there, and those are the guys with speed that get out in transition and, and uh, you know, can finish uh, off the rush. So I think that's part of the reason why you see the numbers you see, but I think entering this season, you would have expected better and hoped for better. So it is a little bit surprising, even though we saw it last year as well. Well, maybe this leads to my uh, next uh, question and maybe you've answered it here, but I'll ask it again. 48 games in then, is this who Dallas is, Matthew, or can a team change how they play at this point? Can they move the needle a bit more offensively, I guess is the bigger question. Well, I think they would like to score more obviously, but I, I don't think that they want to give up their, you know, defensive priority or defensive identity, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they don't want to give that up and and go for more offense and be more risky and, and kind of let things go uh, on the back end. So uh, I do believe this is who Dallas is. Maybe they, you know, start scoring more as uh, shooting percentages rise. And you look at Jamie Benz for shooting percentage and Pavelski and Tyler Sagan and and those numbers are down. And historically, you'd say, all right, well, those will probably, you know, adjust back to either league average around 9% or career averages. And for those three guys, those are, you know, pretty good scorers that will probably finish, uh, I think, in their career, maybe around 11 or 12%. So you'd have to think that those numbers kind of go back to normal a little bit. So maybe they start scoring more, but um, the base of the team is going to remain the same. And I think that's also part of why the stars chose Rick bonus as the interim head coach is because him and Jim Montgomery uh, shared a lot of philosophies about the game and about how to play defense and, uh, and kind of,
kind of protecting the house first and going the other way second. So I think that's the way they want to play, and that's the way they've been playing, and that's the way they will probably continue to play. Matthew, lastly, what about Rick Monas? I mean, interim, we know what that means, but is this somebody that if Dallas finishes strong, gets into the playoffs, maybe does some damage? Is he a guy that you could see staying behind the bench, or is he just simply a short-term fix? Yeah, see, that's a, it's a tricky question. I, I personally don't know if he's a, a long-term solution. Um, and, and we know how much experience he has behind the bench, more coaches or mo- most games than any other coach in NHL history. Uh, as an assistant or a head coach, he's coached in five different decades, but um, he hasn't ever had been a head coach of a, of a team this talented. Uh, most of his head coaching stints were you know, taking over for a fire coach at midseason or uh, in bad circumstances or an expansion team like Ottawa. Um, so he hasn't really had the, the keys to this car before. So I'm interested to see what he can do in, in this next half. And that'll probably determine what happens over the summer and if it's, if it's him or if it's a new coach. Um, but I think, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, he's not returning at all. I don't think, uh, especially given the talent on this team and what they did last year and how close they thought they were. Um, that's the bare minimum. And then after that, see, uh, see how far Penn Bishop can take you in the playoffs. So yeah, it's, it's to be seen, but Jim Nill has, uh, has said that, Rip Bonus will be the, the coach through the rest of the year. I know there was some speculation and rumors um, and kind of a wish list from the Dallas Stars fan base that they go after Gerard Gallon after Vegas fired him. Um, but that's not the case during the season. And uh, we'll see what, what Gallon wants to do, if he wants to wait until the uh, the summer to take a job or if he's kind of eyeing something right now to finish out the season. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, it is a, a kind of a, an unknown situation. Matthew, this is great. Thanks for doing these radio hits this year. We always appreciate it. Maybe we'll talk to you down the road. Who knows? But, uh, again, enjoy uh, tonight, uh, the rest of the season, and uh, we'll do it again down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Greg. All right, there he goes. Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News. Pre-game is up next. We're getting you set for the Lightning and Stars. Keep it tuned to Lightning Power Play throughout. After the game, Eric Erlinson and I will have the last call. Of course, Dave Michigan and Kaylee Chelios with the call. And... We've got so much planned for you. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Linnelli. Pre-game's up next on Lightning Power Play.